0: God, thanks for bringing us here, and for the way that your spirit moves and prompts and speaks and leads to so many people. We believe that we can hear better. You speak better to all of us than you do to any of us. So God, I pray that you would speak to all of us today from your word. Give us encouragement. Help us to overcome the anxiety that seems to be epidemic in our culture today. Father, help us to have the life and the peace that transcends understanding. That you came to give through jesus father help us to be fully present in this place so you can speak to us now i pray this in jesus name amen we are in week five of anxious for nothing which is a week which is a five-week series that i'm actually going to extend we'll finish it up after fall break because there's just too much to say today um a preacher named craig grochelle who i i study for style but not usually for content he went through a, a mental break a couple of years ago just from overwork. And it, when he talks about this stuff, it has changed his preaching. His content is solid. So I'm borrowing heavily from him. I wanted you to know that today. I'm not stealing his sermon. I thought I was going to. His sermon was 55 minutes long, and I have 20, so I didn't steal. I borrowed a lot. just wanted you to know that. But as we, as we continue in Philippians 4, where Paul says, be anxious for nothing... A reminder, Paul is writing from prison, a Roman prison, where he could be excused if he was a little bit grumpy. If maybe he were a little self-absorbed, if he were a little bit anxious. We can excuse that, but it's from that place that he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Did you hear what I said? Rejoice. When things are hard, don't lash out. But reach out. Treat people gently. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything And with thanksgiving, simply talk to God about what you need. And his peace, a peace you wouldn't believe was possible until you experienced it yourself. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he said this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I watched a TED talk, actually I read the transcript, from a a professor at UC Davis, University of California, Davis, and it was about our natural tendency to focus on the negative, to be consumed by negative perspectives. And and she was specifically talking about how hard it is to overcome negative patterns of thought. And so she cited some studies they did, one of which was they told subjects about, about a new medical procedure and they told Group 1, this procedure has a 70% rate of success. They told Group 2, this procedure has a 30% failure rate. Same study, same procedure. Group 1, well it has a 70% chance of success, do it. Let's go. That, that's great. Group 2, that heard, heard there was a 30% failure rate, said no. That's an unacceptable risk. You you can't do a procedure like that. Now, that wasn't the experiment. They then went back to the two groups and reframed the same information. To group one, who had been told there's a 70% success rate, they said, okay, I just want to make sure you understand there is actually a 30% failure rate. And overwhelmingly, the group said, "No, no, that's too risky. You can't do it. The data didn't change, just how it was framed. Then they went back to group two, who they told had the 30% failure rate, who said, you can't do that. And they said, we want to make sure you understand there's a 70% success rate. And what do you think happened? They said, no, you can't do it. They didn't change from the negative perception to the positive. They did multiple scenarios in this same study and the results never changed. If you start with a positive bias, but then are given the negative perspective, your perspective turns negative. But if you begin on negative footing, if you tell them the glass is half empty, then no amount of good news will ever get them to see the glass is half full. It's always going to be half empty. We are biased toward the negative and that's a problem because our world is becoming, can we agree more and more negative chronic Toxic negativity is an epidemic, and it's affecting our lives in so many practical ways. It plays out in our political climate and how we engage with others, especially if we disagree, even on minor things. It affects how we talk to ourselves when we're biased toward the negative. It's, I think that's the root of so much of our anxiety. When you live in fear of what might happen, And you're predisposed to believe that whatever will happen is going to be bad. And and yeah, you're going to be a prisoner to anxiety. And ultimately, I'd say this isn't merely a problem of perception, but it's a a spiritual problem. And it can only be remedied with a spiritual solution. Now, in two weeks, I'm going to talk more about this. But in Romans 86, Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind that follows its natural inclinations, its natural tendencies, as part of humanity with a broken, sinful human nature. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So this practical problem needs a spiritual solution. In Proverbs 4.23, the Good News Translation says it this way, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your thoughts have incredible power to shape the course of your life. They even literally shape how your brain works. Now, when you, when you have a thought, especially when you have a thought in response to a stress or some external stimulus, every new thought you have forms a neural pathway in your brain. Essentially, when your brain learns to respond to a certain stimulus one time, then it responds the same way more quickly the next time it encounters that same stimulus. If you have a fearful moment, your brain says, oh, this is what fear feels like. Next time something similar happens, your brain automatically defaults. Well, this is how we're supposed to react. Well, here's an example with how this works with negative thinking. If you bomb a presentation in class, you get up to make a presentation and you can tell I've had Sundays like this, come on, (laughs) you can tell it's just hitting the back wall and sliding down. Your mind will think, man, I'm such a loser, I'm such a failure, I'm no good at this. Well, what happens the next time you have to give a presentation? Your brain is wired to think, oh wait, I've been here before, how did that go? Oh yeah, I'm I'm not any good at this. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it becomes a habit habitual way of thinking and if you don't think that's true let me ask you this you've had a situation similar to this in some venue let's say if you give a presentation and five people come up and say man you killed that thing home run you were born to do this but one person says I don't know it was kind of meh when you lie down at night which of those six comments are you thinking We've been conditioned, our brains have been wired to fixate on the negative. Again, that's part of the curse of being human and fallen. That's why negative social media posts get way more engagement than positive ones. It's why negative news stories get way more clicks. You know, If it bleeds, it leads is what they say. It's why negative people tend to congregate and propagate and it, it's like an infection. It just won't stop spreading. Paul said, "The mind governed by the flesh is death." Well, psychologists have identified four categories of negative thinking, and see if you recognize any of these. Odds are you don't, because we don't. It's like asking a fish about water. The first is relational cynicism. Relational cynicism, a general distrust of people and their motives. I, I can't trust anybody. Their motives can't, they can't really be looking out for my best interest. They're going to take advantage of me. Everybody's out for himself or herself. Nobody's good. Nobody's generous. Nobody's benevolent. Everybody wants something from. Relational cynicism. Number two is negative filtering. You only see, you always see what's wrong. Finding the worst and pointing it out, overlooking what's good and right. And assuming the worst possible outcome. The kids are late coming home. Oh, they're dead in a ditch. Your husband's late coming home. Oh, he's having an affair. Your friend doesn't return to text. You know I never liked her anyway. You go on a glorious vacation. And you know, they didn't rake the beach very well in the mornings. Go to a five-star restaurant. Yeah, there were water spots on my dessert fork. You go to a church. Oh, where do you start? That's negative filtering. The next is absolute thinking, this or that. It's polarized thinking. This is what we've seen a real growth industry in the last few years. It's black and white, it's right or wrong, it's us or them. If a man hurts you, then all men are bad. If a woman lies to you, all women are liars. If a Republican does something, if a Democrat does something, then they're all like this. If someone differs with you an opinion on something, you write them off as a person. That's ugly. The fourth is blaming, where you think it's not my fault. My life is the way it is because of something somebody else did. Their decisions got in my way. They took something that I deserved. I never had a chance. I have no control over my life. I blame somebody else. Now those are four, the four most common types of negative thinking. And you can go to counseling and learn to manage the symptoms a lot of those, a lot of the uh, manage the behaviors. But healing, I believe, can only be found by spiritual means. Romans 12:2, Paul says, "Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, or in another way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, the kind of things that he told us to think about. Your thoughts have incredible power over the direction of your life. And you have incredible power over the direction of your thoughts with the help of God's spirit. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, we take captive every thought to make it obedient. To Christ. It is possible with God's help to rewire your brain toward what is good. It's not just about the power of positive thinking, but it's saying, God, help me to think differently. In two weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into some practices you can implement to actually begin to do that. But today, I just want to share one story from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And here's the scenario King David and his fighting men, he wasn't yet king, he was on the run, but he and his fighting men were out fighting. One battle over here. And while they were gone, another nation came in from behind and attacked his hometown. And kidnapped all the women and children. So First Samuel 30, verse 3, it says, When David and his men arrived back at the town, they found it burned down. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. That was a bad day. And it says, David and the troops with him wept loudly. And so they had no strength left to weep. And maybe you've been there yourself. As I said last week, not all pain is hypothetical. It doesn't all exist in our mind. Sometimes it's very real. They had had nothing left. No strength left to weep. Verse 6, David was in a difficult position... Because the troops talked about stoning him, you've got to blame somebody because that's what negative thinking does. For they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. These were fighting men. They had developed their own neural pathways. This is how we think when I'm attacked, I'm gonna attack back. Muscle memory said, man, you gotta lash out hard. Somebody had to pay. So of course, David was the natural choice. So these men put him in a very difficult position but David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. The King James Version says David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The strength to change, the strength for transformation isn't found in our own wisdom, our own might, in our own power of positive thinking. It's found in remembering the life changing presence of God. David had formed his own neural pathways, he was trained in the way of seeing not the bad, not the negative, not the discouraging. He'd learned how to focus on what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And we don't know specifically what David said to himself in this instance to encourage himself in the Lord. But we have a pretty good idea because he left us a road map in the Psalms that he wrote. The Psalms are these songs and prayers and reflections written in times like this, specifically four times like this so that he didn't give in to the natural inclination to say oh woe is me but instead to say oh great is God so in Psalm 103 David wrote praise the Lord my soul all my inmost being praise his holy name praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits Now I want you to notice what David is saying Specifically, he isn't praising God like, God, you're so good, God, you're so good, God, you're so good, you're so good to me. That's not what he said. He isn't leading a praise service for the people like praise the Lord, all you people, for his name is great and worthy of praise. No, he's commanding himself to remember who God is and to praise him No matter what, look at that again. Oh, my soul, you praise the Lord. Oh, my inmost thoughts, you praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, you remember all he's done for you. And what has he done? Well, he he forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We talked last week about choosing to worship. That's exactly what it looks like right here. David commanded himself to choose to worship God by remembering all the good things he had done. And then as he continues, he wrote in verse eight, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. David loved that about God. In Psalm 86, he wrote, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. In Psalm 103, he read it there. In Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Why did David keep saying the same things over and over and over again? Is it because it had a good hook and it was easy to dance to? When he was... He had writer's block he, he just pulled out his phrase book you know I wrote so many they won't remember I used that one before it's fine was he just not very creative I mean these weren't even David's own words they were actually God's words about himself back in Exodus when God passed in front of Moses he announced his name the Lord the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. David had built his own neural pathways by committing God's words to heart. So that when he was facing an avalanche of anxiety, he was anchored. Steadfast to what he knew to be true. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Now in that story, they chased down the other army, they got their women back, they got their children back, everybody was happy. But it doesn't always turn out that way, does it? So let me ask, what are you facing? What causes you anxiety? What pulls your focus toward the negative? Whatever that thing is, the more you think about it, the more you're going to think about it. And the easier and easier it becomes to stay in that dark place. So here's what I want you to do for the next two weeks. Be intentional and think about what you think about. Just pay attention. And again, in, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about establishing practices of meditating on the truth of God's word to overcome the enemy's lies about God and about ourselves and about the world we inhabit. But until then, think about what you think about. Maybe keep a little notebook and track how much time do you spend reinforcing negative patterns of thinking. If nothing else, turn on screen time on your phone and keep track. Oh, I spent 17 hours today on Facebook and the news app. Is there any wonder my brain's mush right now? Pay attention to the kinds of news you consume, to the social media posts you engage, to the conversations you're part of. Think about what you think about. And then honestly contrast that, compare that with how much time you spend reminding yourself, encouraging yourself in the Lord. Immersing yourself in what God says about himself and what God says about your identity in him and about what God says about his love for all those people around you who drive you crazy. Will you be intentional about commanding yourself? Praise the Lord, O my soul, and remember all his benefits. Remember everything he's done. That's the spiritual key to unlock our healing. That's why at the Last Supper, Jesus commanded his followers to do what? Remember me. Speaking to a group of friends whose lives were about to get unimaginably hard, they were going to be betrayed, hunted, arrested, imprisoned, beaten, tortured, killed. Jesus said, don't be anxious. Don't give in to fear and anxiety and worry and dread and doubt. Don't become relationally cynical about other people. Don't view the world through negative filters. Or label people and put them in black and white categories, or think of yourself as victims in this. Remember me. Your thoughts have incredible power over the direction of your life, and we have been given by God's Spirit incredible power over the direction of our thoughts. So Jesus said, Remember me. Remember that I came to rescue you from the curse. Of brokenness. Remember that I came to set you free from the fear of sin and death. So what in the world do you have to be afraid of after that? We're going to take communion. And so go ahead and take your elements and I'm going to pray. And as Marsha plays, just spend some time. Maybe your prayer simply needs to be, Jesus, help me to remember you when the world turns dark. When I'm inclined to think the worst, help me to focus on the best. You gave us the best. You gave us yourself. Let's spend some time just remembering God's great love for you. Let's pray. Father, when there's so much demanding our attention that is not of you God bring us back to this moment bring us back to the cross bring us back to the salvation Jesus has given father rewire our brains to know that you are the God of the possible you're the God who is present God, you give us peace and life beyond imagination. Renew us. Transform us as we fix our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts on you. And we pray in Jesus' name.